So Luke 2, 1 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a, ma- him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. You can tell I know King James better, because I'm messing up the ESV. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, for you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, Merry Christmas. And uh, this is going to be like story time. Not nearly as good as Tyler's, but I'm going to sit down because it's Christmas morning. Um, And I'm second-guessing wearing a cardigan for the obvious reasons, but then also uh, because my kids have been running around and I'm like hot. So, uh, well, it's good to be together. And, you know, my kids are super excited uh, to be here this morning, not just because they knew they were going to get cookies for breakfast, um, but they're excited to be with people who love them and whom they love. And I know not everybody's able to be here this morning. There's some other familiar faces that I'm seeing from other places that it's just good to be together to remember. And we have this unique opportunity, don't we? Where kind of our normal weekly rhythms line up with the chaos of Christmas morning. And so this morning, we're, we're, we're with the people of Jesus. We're with our forever family. As we think about eternity, and as we think about who made this family even possible. And so we're going to be doing exactly that. We're going to be singing to Jesus, about Jesus, with the people of Jesus. And I want to think, I want you to think about just how weird that is. (laughs) Okay, because here's the deal. Um, I know that's what we do at church is we sing a lot, right? But where else in life does that happen? I mean, for the most part, you may sing in the shower when nobody else is listening or when your kids are like, you know, banging or your, your friends or whatever. 
when you're, you're in the car and you're trying to sing loud and the people in the back seat are saying, who sings that song? You know, Mariah Carey, keep it that way, right? Um, or maybe you go to karaoke and, you know, you have some friends who are struggling to say the lyrics along the bottom. Not you, of course. You always nail it. Um, but there's nothing like when we gather together and we're looking off the same lyric sheet and we have all kinds of different hobbies, people from all kinds of different backgrounds, people of all different ages, and we're together and we're singing songs together, which is weird. Like, why, in, in a culture where we often don't sing in public anymore, why do we do this? And I think this answer is absolutely crucial, you know, as we think about this morning and really the series we've been in for the past few weeks, we've been looking at songs. Songs that we say impact us so far that they actually sustain us. Songs that have sustained God's people for thousands of years, the Psalms. And we've looked at songs of hope, of joy, of love, of peace. And then this morning we're going to see a song of a son. And, and we've, we've sung these songs for 103,000 weeks. It's the longest running sing-along in the history of the world as we think about who we're singing to and as the people of God singing together. But why? Why do we do that when it really seems kind of weird in our cultural situation anymore? Well, I think it has everything to do with what we know about the Christmas story we just had read for us this morning by Lori. So if you haven't already, uh, turn with me in your Bibles or your Bible apps, or the scripture will also be on the screen um, if in, in your Christmas haste you forgot your Bible. Um, so... There's that. But here, let's look at the beginning of Luke chapter 2, where our doctor, our historian, think of all the ways he could have started this story, right? We've got a couple different ways that are pretty popular right now. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, that could have been one way he started, or once upon a time, you know, I've been reading a bunch of stories with my kids that start that way. But that's not the way Luke starts, is it? Look with me here again at verse 1. In those days... A decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is also called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So as we're gathered this morning in our family Christmas, why do we sing to this Jesus? Here's why. Because we know Christmas is true. We know Christmas is true. Luke doesn't start his account with all these deal details because they build tension or stir intrigue in the story. It's like, oh, Quirinius, I wonder what he's up to. Well, we don't hear from him anymore. Um, ah, they came from Galilee, which is specifically from Nazareth, but then they went to the Judean region, to the city of David, which is also called Bethlehem. Neat, sure. But really, why the details? Because he's, he's not just retelling a Christmas fairy tale. He's telling us history. You see, facts are never the friends of fairy tales and legends. They kind of uh, destroy the magic of make-believe because facts with real names and places, they always beg to be checked. And if they get debunked, they ruin the story. Especially considering some of the eyewitnesses were still around. This is how Luke is compiling his account of the life. 
and story of Jesus as he's talking to eyewitness accounts. The places where these things happened still exist. The architectural framework is still the same. So you can go and you can double check Luke's historical statements here. And if Christmas is true, this is so great. If Christmas is true, then maps, street signs, politicians, censuses, all these things add to the beauty. And they tell us that this is a true story. And they plant our feet firmly on earth, not in the imaginations of make-believe. And remind us of history, that God has become flesh on earth and space and time. So when we sing, it's more than just because the best way to spread Christmas cheer, right, <laughs> is to sing loud for all to hear. But although that's fun, um, we sing, you know, even in the car over here, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer came on. And Ava's like, she's not even three yet, but she's singing Rudolph in the back. And it's just so much fun. It's a lot of fun. It makes you smile. But that's not why we sing. Not primarily. We sing because we're retelling the history of salvation. That God has come. More than warm fuzzies, we have the very architecture of this world shaped because Christ is God in the flesh. But there's more. Okay, more to why we sing. And we're going to spend some good time singing this morning. Okay. We're here today singing because we know Christmas is glorious. Glorious. In the middle of the night in the first century, there were these shepherds, right? And they're hanging out on one of their hills. You know, I don't know if they've got different names for the hills. If like this is Jabeth's Hill or something. I don't know. You know, everybody's got their names for these places, I guess. Anyway, a creature, that was a rabbit trail. These creature, this creature shows up that defies explanation. An angel. Which, you know, we've got all these pictorial representations, but who knows, like, how glorious this creature was, this angel. And he says, hey, there's this baby that's born in Bethlehem, and then suddenly all these other angels show up, which has got to just scare you to death. I mean, like, what is happening? It's so brilliant, so bright. And they all begin to say this, right? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he's pleased, which is a way of saying this is God's most glorious moment. This is his best on display right now. And you have to ask yourself, this is glorious? I mean, you mean to tell me that this poor family who can't get a room in Motel 6 and has to hang out in a cave in the back and gives birth out in the open air, like this is God's most glorious moment? I mean, it's, it's nowhere near Caesar's glory, is it? He can say one word and the whole world is taxed and tallied. He lifts his finger and thousands of miles away, people have to obey. He's got monuments. He's got choirs that sing his praises. He's got armies that fight his battles. Like, that is glorious, right? And then to even go on and say that this isn't just God's glory. Like, this is his best. And you start thinking about stars. And you think about universes of stars and black holes that swallow those universes and stars. You, you just think about the ocean and the myriad of creatures that that contains and the storms that rage on those oceans, the thunder, the lightning. And yet, a baby gone unnoticed in a cave in the back of Bethlehem is God's best on display. God become flesh, vulnerable, human. The one who created humanity has entered his world. He's written himself into the story. This is God's finest hour. So when we sing, we don't just sing to a cute 
eight ounce or eight pounds, six ounce sweet baby Jesus, right? We sing to God become flesh. Lord, even in his birth, he is sovereign over the world. And it's to celebrate the very heart of God that God's love has become flesh and manifest among us. And the lengths that he will go to be with us and to save his world are to the utmost. So it's not just that it's true, but it's, it's glorious. I mean, this is, this is our God. So what happens? Well, as we heard read and as we know, the shepherds, they go look for themselves. The angels told them this, but they're going to check with their own eyes and they're going to obey the angels that showed up out of nowhere that looked terrifying. Um, good move. And uh, they, they go, who knows to how many houses, right, in Bethlehem. It doesn't say they landed at the first house, and right? So maybe like, hey, do you have a baby? Yeah, is this him? No, that doesn't look right. So they keep moving from house to house until finally they get to one house, and they're like, oh, yeah, you're talking about Mary and Joseph. Yeah, they're, I think they're in the back somewhere. <laughs> so they go around the house to this little cave, and they find the child. And the shepherds, they tell Mary and Joseph everything that had been told them, what they'd saw, and never in a million years, I mean, would they have ever dreamed of a Savior coming like this? And that they'd be invited. Like they were the ones who were told. It's a strange baby shower, isn't it? <laughs> and I love how Luke ends the story. Lori highlighted it when she was reading. When you get to verse 20, it says, And the shepherds returned doing what? Glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as had been told them. And, and I want you to think about that, how Luke ends the night of Christmas is with this. Hard men, like working men, men who spend themselves, you know, covered in sheep dung, shaving sheep, taking care of sheep, showering once in a while. And yet, like, they come back, dance. I mean, it, it's this ecstatic, um, this language, it keeps building on itself. They, they begin to praise and glorify. Like it builds. And they're, they're, it's almost like they're dancing and they're singing. And they're, they're, they're maybe even singing some of the psalms we've been going through over the past few weeks. And they're telling anyone who's crazy enough to listen what has just happened to them the night before. And of all people that they were invited, them. They couldn't help but sing on Christmas. Why? Because I think just like every one of us, we can't help sing on Christmas. And here's, here's why. As one theologian put it, saved people love to sing. <laughs> saved people, now I'm not saying you love music all the time, okay? But saved people, we love to sing. Why? Because we can't keep it in. Because we know what God's done for us and it just bubbles out like a spring in the world and it's just coming out and it's like a geyser. You, you can't keep it down. You've got to start vocalizing what's going on in your heart because you've realized what God has done in history and how glorious it really is. And he's included you. And if you look across the history of the Bible, we come to see that this is kind of the trend. Whenever God saves people, those saved people sing. When God saves Israel in the Red Sea, you find this glorious song that follows. When Hannah gives birth to a son, when before she had been considered barren, she sings. When Mary learns about how she was pregnant with the Savior, she sings. You know there are over 400 references to singing in Scripture, 50 of which are commands, by the way. And I think there's only one natural conclusion that comes out of that, is that God really wants us to sing. To let our joy breathe 
in the earth that he's created and so reach new heights to link arms together and to find joy singing together as the family of God and to let his glory be known that this is his most glorious moment so don't keep it bottled up let him receive his rightful praise that he's due and you could almost say that Jesus when he redeems a people for himself he also redeems a choir and so this morning when we sing Remember that you're joining in a song that has been going long, long before your birth. A song written in the score of the universe itself. A song that stars and planets resound with. A song we can't really hear yet, but as the psalmist tells us, the trees are clapping and on beat. The mountains are bursting. The thunder and the lightning are like the glorious light show and bass behind this monstrous song to the glory of God. And the cry of a baby is right at the center of its melody. And we hear the echoes of this song in Moses' song in Scripture, in Hannah's song in Scripture, in Mary's song, and even off the lips of Jesus himself when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying through the Psalms, and even when the Psalms come echoing off his lips when he's on the cross itself. This is a song the whole world is singing. All of creation, we read in Romans, is groaning for the sons and daughters of men to join in on this song. And so today, as we sing, here in a moment, I don't want you to hold back. Don't try to keep composure. This is Christmas. You're with family. Instead, I want you to lean in with all the way to heaven. And let's sing the song of the sun, shall we? The object of our hope the embodiment of our peace, the giver of our joy, oh, and the fulfillment of our love. We know that Christmas is gloriously true, and we can't help but sing when we really get that. So why would you? Let's pray. Oh, dear God, I am so, so thankful for today. Um, already, I've just been having fun with my family, and... Uh, I'm thankful that my kids have these folks to look up to, that these folks are investing in my kids, um, that we have the opportunity, me and my family, to invest in others, and just the joy that comes out of that, and all of that because you became human. So God, thank you for Christmas. Thank you that you're making a family for yourself. Oh, that just speaks to what you will do when you come again. And so, God, may we sing today and focus on you and remember with gratitude the great gift of your Son. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.